Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. I watch this office every day as I have for 40 years, believing one day others like me would walk through that door. That my hope was not in vain. Today is that day. And that hope is you, Commander Burnham. When we started this podcast, I was really excited and hoped that this would really work. Hope that we would succeed. And there was another hope in there. That hope is you, Dan. (laughs) (laughs) That hope was you, or is you. Well, I hope that you're a true believer, because uh, I'm behind this 100%. And, you know, even if there's only one lonely person out there sitting listening for us I hope that we can at least reach that one person yes and that one person hi mom (laughs) welcome everyone to positively track I'm Bruce Gibson with Dan Gunther and yes we are going to review the season three premiere of Star Trek Discovery called that hope is you part one which is a very interesting title because next week's episode isn't called that Hope Is You Part 2. No, and I've looked through the rest of the titles for the season that, that have been released anyway, and I'm, is it all of them? I'm not sure. But I'm not seeing a That Hope Is You Part 2 anywhere. So, yeah, it's a very interesting title. I'm, I'm not sure what they were trying to go for with that. Didn't Mel Brooks have a movie called The History of the World Part 1? Oh, that's it. It's a Mel Brooks reference. <laughs> Head cannon accepted. <laughs> yeah, I saw someone online predict that it's going to be the season finale would be called part two. That was me. That was kind of my guess as well. We'll see if that that bears out. It'd be interesting if it was a really long game and like the season four premiere was that hope is you part two or something. But yeah, it's interesting how they're they're doing it that way. If there is a part two down the line, how separated there are. That's kind of never really been done before in Star Trek titles, as far as I can remember. Yeah, I don't know. It seems really strange. I've never seen anything like that before. It makes me also wonder if somebody messed up and it was going to be a part one, part two, and they go, no, we'll change the second episode to its own title, and someone forgot to go back and change, take the part one out. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that's what happened, but it's just, it's really interesting, really strange. Yeah, there's there's things like that that happen over the... I, I don't think that's the case with this one either, but one of my favorite ones was uh, when the Deep Space Nine was doing their final chapter episodes and they announced like working titles, which eventually got changed. The first three episodes of the final chapter were Penumbra, Umbra, and Eclipse. 
And then they ended up changing those next two episodes to, I think, Till Death Do You Part and Strange Bedfellows. But that first episode they kept as Penumbra, which I always thought was really interesting and always reminds me that like, oh, that that was going to be a continuing theme. But then they just changed that. So, yeah, it happens, I guess. Yeah, it does. I don't know if, I mean, creatively, they might think this is brilliant, but I can see, you know, there's going to be people out there that, you know, or go looking for part two when the next episode comes on and they're just like, <laughs> oh my gosh. Because I'm even picturing not just now, but, you know, in the future, somebody's like, oh, I've never checked this series out and they're binge watching and they get from part one and then they go to the second episode and it's not called part two. They're going to, okay. Oh no, the CBS All Access app has, has skipped an episode. Where is it? I can't right. find it. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And they start freaking out looking unless the next episode, and I can't remember because I didn't prepare for this, what the title is the next episode Dan's squinching his eyes because he knows he can figure it out. But what I'm getting at here is maybe that episode is called whatever it is, part two. I do remember that it's not listed as part two, whatever it is, on the lists I've seen. So Far From Home is the uh, is the second episode. So maybe it will say Far From Home part two, but yeah, it's not listed that way. Anyway, we'll find out in just a few days, So, which mm-hmm. is exciting. Another new episode in just a few days. <laughs> So, okay. So, okay. I got up early Thursday morning and I turned on my projector in my movie theater room, had it on the big screen and watched the whole thing. Didn't even eat breakfast, nothing. I mean, I'm just like, it was the first thing I was going to do in the morning, which is kind of nice, but also not because, you know, I'm not fully awake. (laughs) You know, I like the idea of watching the premiere at night, the day's over, you know, and But it's nice to get as soon as you wake up, too. It's like Christmas. I get to open presents. So I'm watching it, and, you know, the first thing we see is a bird with the time on it. And I was like, is this a sign that I should have got up earlier? (laughs) You know, it's like the alarm clock going off. I wouldn't mind having a bird alarm like that. That was pretty cool. I love that. That was neat. Like, yeah, and it appears to be some sort of holographic system or virtual system because he does make it disappear when he turns the alarm off the the person we see in this opening scene but yeah i thought that was kind of cool i was like oh at first is this like a bird that's genetically engineered to be an alarm clock but no not quite (laughs) yeah at one point i thought are they just shining the time on a bird is there something Mm -hmm. just like shining it on it but because i have a friend who has one of those clocks that shines the time on the ceiling Oh, that's cool, yeah. up on there. He yeah. says he likes it because in the middle of the night, if he wakes up, he just looks up. <laughs> it's hmm. right up there. He doesn't have to roll over or anything. So I like the scene because, and by the way, we're going to get into spoilers. So we're assuming that you've watched this episode. So no holds bar here going forward. So this is the Federation way station, which we come to find out later. But what I liked about the scene from the future is what I always suspected the future may be like. And that is... If you can be on a holodeck and everything you touch and smell feels real, why couldn't you live that way? And so to your point, the bird is probably a hologram of some type, but then the rest of his quarters that he's living is is matter that just can form and transform and all that. So with matter and hollow sweet technology and stuff, to me, why would you build furniture when you can just live like that, bed appears, disappears, couch appears, disappears, sink appears, mm-hmm. disappears. Yeah, it was like it's all he's inside a giant replicator yeah. or something like that. And it's just this non-specific matter that 
can form to be whatever he needs. And, you know, for example, later in the episode, towards the end, he produces uh, a Federation flag and it looks like it's just like appeared from nothing. But then he says, you know, this has been in my family for generations. So it's it's like stored somewhere, maybe as data or or stored physically somewhere and it's transported there maybe who knows but i i think it's really neat that it leaves it ambiguous because if you go forward like star trek is already a couple hundred years ahead of us normally and then you go forward a thousand years from that like it's unimaginable what kind of technology they would have so i like that it's not like just completely explained to us to us as the viewer looking through the eyes of burnham who's a new arrival there. This is all wondrous and unknown and who knows how it works. I, I, I kind of love that. Yeah. It's not like she walks in and he says, let me show you how all this operates. <laughs> exactly. <know>? Yeah. <laughs> For the viewer at home, wink, wink <laughs> at the camera. And little does he know that that case with the flag is actually from the props department. Then we get into a scene where we see a ship flying through being chased by another ship. And we see our character who we later known as book He's on the ship and he's being chased by Cosmo because Cosmo wants his cargo back. You stole my cargo. No, I didn't. Then boom, crash into Burnham. Burnham's got some weight to her, I guess, because man, she took that ship down. I'm surprised she's still alive, but she just grazed the ship. So so then they crash down on the planet, which is that opening. That opening scene is what we got as a preview of this episode the week before. Mm-hmm. So uh, which we even st- talked that that would be probably the near the beginning of the episode so i don't even know if i want to say this yet i'm gonna hold no i'll talk about it but dan what did you think at this point of the scene i was enjoying it i, th- I thought it was a uh, flashy you know high stakes thing I-, I i thought it was a lot of fun a really really cool scene and uh got my heart pumping exactly yeah uh so what what was that that she spit out when she finally like raised from the dead from the dirt, it looked like it was a clear liquid. Was that something for uh, life support? I assumed it was water, but I, I don't know. It looked like water to me. Yeah. I, was there something else it was supposed to be? I, I just thought it was water. I don't know. She just like came out from the dirt and then she just turned and split. Bleh, and it looked like all this water. I was like, well, I didn't see her drinking. So we're, I just didn't know if that was something she threw up or some kind of solution that was in the suit to help protect her. When she hmm. crashed and she was just spitting that out, you know, I don't know. Oh, I just, I just assumed she threw up and it was like <laughs> mostly water. <laughs> I don't know. That's, that's what I thought. Good for her. She's well hydrated. She drinks lots of water. So we find out that we're in the year 3188 and she does detect there's multiple life readings. Again, we've seen a lot of these clips ahead of time. Now the wormhole was closing. And she sends her suit up there to send that signal back to Spock and Starfleet that they made it. And I showed this to my wife when we were watching it. And she says, wait, she got rid of the suit? That's pretty dumb. She should keep the suit. But then, you know, they also had to work that in because, well, they said in that last episode she'd send a signal. Mm -hmm. I also think it was partially, you know, to get rid of the possibility that the sphere data or, or control could somehow use it to send that data back in time somehow, you know, it it also gets rid of the possibility of that getting back there again, 
you know, in her mind. Like at this point, she doesn't know that there's all this time travel technology that's been invented and then destroyed. But at the same time, you know, you, you want to ensure that you're in the future and that that stuff stays there. You also kind of want to get rid of one of the ways that it could undo what you've just done. Yeah, that's a good point. I've read some people online saying that they still don't understand why they went to the future because control was gone. So why did they have to go to the future? But control was not really gone. No. Yeah. Control is a computer program. It, it We've already seen that it copies itself many times over. So yeah, no, it, it's definitely not gone just because Leland was killed. <laughs> Absolutely. Then she, of course, walks over towards uh, Booker's ship. They get into a fight, which he was pretty violent. Like when he came to attack her, he came to attack to kill. I thought mm-hmm. that was a little much. I would think he would just want to go and just maybe kind of, I don't know, knock her out. But it looked like he was there to kill her. Yeah. I mean, you see the world he's from, though. Like, yeah. I, I kind of get it. And we will see later in this episode a lot of lives really quickly thrown away. So, you know, this is this is kind of a world where it seems that life isn't sadly worth as much as we're used to because, you know, that that's what happens when a society kind of degenerates and devolves. We, you get that where where life isn't as precious as we tend to think it is. And he didn't know what her intentions were for all he knew at that time. She had intentionally made him crash on the planet and then was coming to kill him or steal his his cargo or something. So I totally bought that. I thought that like, yeah, as from his perspective, she's going to kill him or or do worse, you know? Yeah, that's a good point. He should have killed Cosmo, but he wasn't able to do that either. <laughs> no, I don't really think he should kill him, but I'm just saying if he's going to kill anybody, boy, he really needs to go after him too. So now keep this in mind, the crash ship, okay? Because I want to get back to that later because it's something about this episode. This is the one thing, and it's a small thing, but it's one thing about this episode that bothers me. But I'm going to save that to later and you'll know why. Okay, so they make nicey nice. She convinces him that she's, you know, needs him. And and so he boards the ship with her. He takes her on board and we get to see the interior of the ship. More of it. I mean, we saw it from the earlier scene. But I like the uh, the the look of the ship. I love how there's really not any corners. The walls are very smooth and there's like a wood grain look to them. And the um, communication board, how that works. I mean, it does make it look futuristic, but not too futuristic that it seems so unreal. Yeah, I really appreciated the design and the attempt to make things look different. You know, like we've had uh, we've had buttons and, and touchpads for years. And then in Picard, we saw like the holographic displays. I like that this interface is different. This kind of thing that morphs to, to whatever you're trying to do. Don't know exactly what the technology is, but it looks cool. And I, I think it looks appropriately futuristic. Yeah, it does. And then we also find out that they're not on Terra Elysium, it's Heme. So she's not on the right planet. She's actually in Ireland. Well, no, that's where they filmed. Actually, actually, it was Iceland. Iceland. Yes, it was Iceland. I've, I've been there a couple times now, and, and there's a couple locations I was like, I, I think I recognize that. <laughs> <laughs> so you've been on Heme. That's really great, Dan. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> So we find out that his dilithium is damaged because of when she crashed into a ship. And so we now need to go and get dilithium. So they decide, well, they need to head to the mercantile. And so they start taking their walk towards the mercantile. But before that, we meet another 
very important character in this, and that is Grudge the Cat. Yes. <laughs> that Grudge the Cat looks heavy. <laughs> yeah, well, he's got a th- she's got a thyroid condition. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, she's heavy, and she's all his. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, Grudge was pretty cool. Uh, looking forward to seeing more of her. I'm I'm more of a dog person myself, but, you know, Grudge is a queen. She demands the respect, and uh, it looks like she's going to get it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Even Burnham's, like, taken back. Whoa, uh, a cat. You've got a cat, you know? <laughs> but it's interesting, too, how he still doesn't want to know her name. He he. Mm-hmm. She gets him to reveal his name but he doesn't want to know her name. It's like he, he just wants to keep a distance. He doesn't want to have a relationship. He's still not trusting of her. Yeah, I was wondering if there's something deeper than that in, in this as well, though, because I recently rewatched the Short Trek episode Calypso, and like the idea of revealing your true name is a thing in that episode that you know the character in that episode is reluctant to do as well. And, you know, there's this whole idea of, you know, if uh, if you were my lover, you would give me my true name kind of thing. So I'm wondering if there's some sort of parallel here, if we're seeing that aspect of, of human society or possibly the society that both of these characters maybe come from. I'm wondering if there was some sort of drawing of, of parallels there or not, or if, if that has anything to do with it. I don't know. That's interesting. He did give her a nickname of Rocket Girl, which she did not like. No, she was not a fan of that. <laughs> so as they're heading off, they're going to the mercantile and because they need the dilithium and they start having that discussion about things that are going on. And he says about her badge and about, you know, ghosts and, you know, the Federation doesn't exist anymore. And we start to learn about the burn. And, you know, we were all predicting, you know, well, what's the burn? What's the burn? So it's all this dilithium that at one point, 100, 120 years ago, all just boom just all exploded, all disintegrated. It just took ships with them and lives with them. Now, did you hear any predictions as people were speculating that the burn could be that? Not that specifically, but I remember a few people saying something, oh, maybe it has something to do with dilithium or something like that. I don't don't know if they had any kind of insight or anything, but I remember dilithium being thrown around at some point. So, you know, I I think basically it was overall, the idea was that something happened to make warp drive impossible or something. And we see it's not impossible, but a lot of dilithium went up, so it's scarce. And as Book says, it might happen again. No one knows, right? So people are a little scared to use dilithium or have a lot of it around because it could happen again, which is interesting. I also was thinking what it would be like now that you can't travel from one sector to another. And, you know, this is a thing that I don't want to say destroys the Federation, but takes it down several notches. And Mm -hmm. we think it's a bad thing, but in back of my mind, I'm thinking, well, maybe we'll see something further in episodes that there are people that are completely happy that they can't travel long distances anymore, that it's just good to be closer to home, that we've dealt with so many things from the Borg and Romulans and Klingons and stuff that maybe it's just kind of nice that we not explore and go out there anymore. Mm -hmm. Well, it's interesting because, yeah, I went into this season thinking there was no travel like warp travel or anything, but it does still exist. People do still use dilithium and, and travel at warp speeds. It's just a lot rarer. And we also find out that quantum slipstream drive is still a thing. And, yes. uh, 
but in in a nice bit of continuity, it uses Benamite, which they talk about in Voyager. But Benamite, as we learned in Voyager, is even more rare than Dilithium. And uh, so it, it seems like, you know, it's not widespread, not common to use it, but it is a technology that exists. I think uh, Discovery's Spore Drive, whenever or wherever she shows up, is going to be game-changing. Yeah, there's going to be something about Discovery that changes it, for sure. It's got to be. There's just something in there. So mm-hmm. maybe, are you suggesting that ships will all have Spore Drives eventually, maybe? I don't know if they'll go that route, but I think Discovery will be uh, a big help in moving things around the galaxy and and reconnecting people. So, you know, that might be the direction they go, but at at least in the short term, I think Discovery is going to be a ship that's very valuable. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, there's obviously a reason why this is a Discovery show. It has something to do with Discovery, right? It's got to happen. Okay, so they get to Requiem, and then we find this big city. Now, this is the thing that gets to me. This is the thing I said, remember this. As soon as I saw the city, I was like, oh, wow, it's a full city. Because when they crashed on the planet, I thought it's you know desolate. There's hardly anybody there, if anybody. Mm-hmm. But then when they get to the city, I was like, well, my first thought in my mind is like, well, wait. If there was a crashing ship and there's a city nearby, wouldn't they send vehicles out to go check on it because i'm sure there's sensors that picked up a ship just crashed and there's smoke billowing up into the air then they Mm -hmm. didn't send anybody to go look for it i I don't think so i think they don't really care it seems like they're very isolated like there's there's a lot of dialogue that you know shows that you know this is basically i think just a commercial enterprise run by these guys and this is the community that's kind of built up around it. It doesn't seem like they have a lot of interests outside of their own. And Book says to Burnham, like, they don't get a lot of walk-ups. So, you know, blah, blah, blah. So I I, th- I think they're just kind of this isolated city that, you know, doesn't really care what happens on the vast, desolate, empty land around them. That's the impression I got from the episode anyway. And that's what I thought, too. And then I thought, well, yeah, I guess that makes sense. And then my next thought is, yeah, but they're all into cargo. You know, it's like I would still think they would see if there's anything valuable in that ship that just crashed that somebody would go check it out. They can't find it because of the cloaking device, but whatever. But that was the only problem I really had with this episode was that I was like kind of questioning that. But uh, from what you just said, yeah, makes sense. I'll, I'll go with that. So Andorians and Orions are working together. Did you like that? Because I actually read some people online that didn't like that. Oh, I, 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 I don't know. I guess I didn't really have any specific feelings on it one way or another. I thought that was kind of cool just to see Orions and Andorians. I don't know in particular, why, why did people have a problem with that? I don't know. I just saw a couple of people online saying, I don't know how I feel about Orions and, and Andorians getting along and working together. I saw that a couple of times and I just thought, oh, I never thought of it that way. But maybe some people do have an issue with that. But this is Star Trek. Don't we want everybody getting along? <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, it's just people on that end of the color wheel wanting to unite. <laughs> right. Well, it's all for selfish reasons too, right? They're all looking, they're almost like Ferengi looking for profit, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is interesting that we didn't see any Ferengi. This would be a great opportunity for Ferengi to be there. Yeah. I'm curious to see if we'll, we'll see Ferengi this week. I'm, I'm surprised at the, the aliens we did see. So like you said, we've got Andorians and Orions. That was cool. We also have Lurians, like Morn's people uh, from Deep Space Nine. And one Cardassian, which was really cool. I thought yeah. that was neat. So Yeah, briefly seen. 
Yeah, and then a, f- a few that that I'm not familiar with as well. But it was pretty cool to see some of those legacy races a- again in Star Trek. And we also saw or didn't see really any white people in this episode. That's true. Yeah, you know I've seen that pointed out online too, where people are saying that this is the first Star Trek episode that doesn't feature any of the cast as being white. Now, of course, there's white actors playing mm-hmm. some of these aliens. But none of the characters are white. That's interesting. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. That's really cool. If you cool. really start to think about it, it's like, yeah, we've never had a Star Trek episode where there wasn't somebody in the main cast that was white. The The second time I watched it, I did pay close attention to the opening credits. And of course, none of the other regulars are credited for this episode. It's uh, Sinequa Martin-Green and David Ajala uh, are credited as the main characters, main cast, and no one else. So. Yeah, really interesting. You know, I wasn't a big fan of Book at this point from what he did to Burnham. He sent her to look for the comm so she can contact Discovery. And he said, oh, yeah, the comm's in there. Give me your tricorder so I can use it to exchange for dilithium. And she says, you know, a promise is a promise. And I thought he's probably really warming up to her and seeing that he can trust her. But then mm-hmm. when that happens, when he says, oh, yeah, the comm's right in there, but it's not the comm, it's the vault. And all of a sudden... She's wrapped around, tied up with some kind of holographic rope glowing stuff. And so he captures her because he wants the rest of her artifacts because a broken tricorder is not going to get him enough dilithium. So he takes the rest of her stuff. And I love how she tells him she's going to come looking for him. When she gets out of that, she's coming after him. I love that. You know, she's like, I'm ready to go get you. <laughs> yeah, I really like all of the acting. Well, in, in this whole episode, I think everybody just nails it. But in this scene, it's subtle. But watching it a second time through, especially, and knowing what book is about to do, his face is interesting to watch where he's like he when when Burnham says things like a deal's a deal and I promised so here you go his face is like uh I can't believe I'm about to do what I'm about to do yes. but I have no choice right like it, yeah. it's really subtle but he looks like embarrassed for how he's about to act and it's really well done really great performance yeah I picked up on that too Because I did think that he was, yeah, I need to do this. I kind of feel bad about it, but it's something I just got to do. And then, of course, she gets arrested and we have an Orion and an Andorian interrogating her and she needs to tell the truth. So then they spray her with some kind of drug where now she's laughing and just carrying on and don't give this to my redhead friend. Uh, I'm just talking. (laughs) I love that It's so line. great. <laughs> <laughs> this whole scene, like right from where Burnham's like, damn, <laughs> <And> <laughs> right on through. It's so good. I, oh man. So, so many things combined to make this scene really interesting. And of course, Sinequa Martin-Green's performance, which, you know, we didn't talk a lot about what we've seen so far of her, but she is incredible in this episode. Like I've always liked her as Burnham and thought she did a great job and, you know, very admirable performance. But this episode is like next level to me. Like she is doing some incredible acting work here from the very beginning with like her elation that their mission to prevent all life in the galaxy from being wiped out has succeeded. She's detecting life signs and she's like hollering and 
like it's amazing but then there's also the sadness and despair mixed in with that afterwards after she realizes like i've left everything behind and i can't go back and all that stuff and then this scene is she's so funny you know i i will no longer be reflexively supportive or whatever like all all this stuff that she's saying and uh, it's great and then combined with the really fascinating camera work uh, by director Olatunde Osinsanmi as, you know, he's filming Burnham going through this. I thought this all combined to make this just visually interesting and hilarious. I was very interested in that camera work that they were using when she was hallucinating because it, it seemed as if the ca- camera was mounted to her head because it moved with her head. The movements mm-hmm. of her head went with it. Of course, we don't see it mounted to her head, which made me wonder if it was digitally removed or or if, or if they took you know there's cameras that the lens moves with an object so it's mm-hmm. pinpointed on her head so anytime her head moves the lens moves with her and that's what it seemed to be because anytime she shook her head the camera kept with her yeah so yeah i found that camera camera work to be uh excellent and also you know just just even the vista of and the and the serenic shots of iceland that we saw was beautiful. There's a lot of beautiful camera work throughout this entire episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very great direction and, and cinematography in this for sure. And I do want to talk about their performances. I agree with you about Sonequa. You know, when we see Burnham on screen, her emotions go from one end to the other, very extreme. She's got very extreme emotions, which is amazing because she's a very controlled person in a sense because she grew up on Vulcan. But mm-hmm. then when she has a reaction to something, it can go really extreme one way or the other. And because of this drug induced into her, we get to see a different side of her laughing and we see the extreme there. Where we see Book, he's more subdued. And so mm-hmm. I feel like there's a nice play between these two because she's very much like him, but she emotionally can go from one end to another and is very intense at times where he seems very down and grounded and i feel that he has a lot of those emotions too but he's really keeping in check and keep them reserved and i feel like the two of them are going to learn a lot from each other from an emotional standpoint yeah book i I, again and i really like david ajala's performance here as well book is a very reserved person and i feel like it's definitely a defense mechanism for the life he has to lead in this world like it's it's not a it's not a great world it's pretty rough and i think he keeps his cards very close to his vest like how you know he won't get close to burnham to start with and you know I, and and part of that is because he's eventually going to betray her he doesn't want to start liking her but you know of course they end up liking each other and and getting closer that way and finding out that each other is kind of the good guy, you know? So I I really liked his performance here. It is, it's understated, but it's, there's still a lot behind it. If that makes sense. There's, there's a lot of emotion in his eyes for sure. Oh yes. No, I agree a hundred percent for sure. Well, then we get to the next scenes where there's fighting going on because now, you know, they, you know, she reveals that book betrayed her. And, and anyway, so they, there's all this fighting going on we have those weird guns. I, do we even have a name for those yet? I don't think so. I mean, they were No, I've, I've seen people call them hand cannons. I don't know. That wor- that works for me. <laughs> it does, but it sounds funny to me. <laughs> hand cannons. You know what? This is in my hand cannon from now on. <laughs> <laughs> hand cannons are now hand cannon. <laughs> right. 
And then we got portable transporters. That's nice. Mm-hmm. I want one of those. I also love how Michael Burnham is like so in awe over this stuff and and book is like dude calm down like this is just normal what what's the matter with you <gasps> portable transporters that's so cool and dude's like wow okay <laughs> yeah whatever and i like how she keeps hitting them you know even yes. when they're transporting she's still you know she's still feeling the effects of the drugs and she's still upset him that every you know she keeps whapping them across the, <laughs> the thing is he deserves it every time too <laughs> <laughs> yeah I thought it was a little convenient uh, in the storytelling that the transport needs 30 seconds to reset itself. That way you can, you know, have a fight scene for a while before beaming somewhere else. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I do have to say I loved this episode. I thought it was great. I really enjoyed it. But yeah, to me, the most uh, kind of tiresome part, even though visually it looks cool and stuff, the phaser fight or the, or the hand cannon fight, whatever. And then the the popping in and out and that kind of stuff. Visually beautiful, but I got I did get a little tired of it. That like, oh, it's a bunch of people shooting at each other and not hitting each other kind of thing. And you know, it just it felt a little bit generic sci-fi at that point, but yeah. uh it's still a fun action sequence. Just you know, that's never my favorite part of a Star Trek episode. I'm the same way. I just, I mean, if if I had to say one of my least favorite parts is probably that. And it's not that I didn't like it, mm-hmm. but it just gets to a point where all the fighting and the shooting's going on. It's like, okay, yeah, 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 yeah. Like you said, visually interesting to look at. And I was thinking, what is this, Star Wars? They keep missing each other. You know, it's like stormtroopers can never hit, you know, and it's just, it gets a little old. You know, I, I'm... I could really go for cutting back on action unless it's really needed. But sometimes I feel like it's just there to be there. You know, we didn't yeah. need the whole beaming around and fighting each other that much. You know, yeah. But- I feel like there there will be action more so than in past Star Trek series because, you know, that's just the kind of time we live in. But also part of me is like, I think that the action is always ramped up for a season premiere or a season finale, because I'm thinking back to the first episode of season two brother and the big sequence. in that of course was those drop ships going down and, and you know, the, the one Lieutenant getting taken out and Pike's ship getting damaged and the catching him in space and all that kind of stuff. So it seems like there's always a big action set piece for the season premiere and, and hopefully kind of gets toned down uh, as we go on into the season. So, you know, it's kind of par for the course at this point, I guess. <laughs> yeah. It's, you know, anything like this, it's going to have a lot of action in it. Even if it doesn't call for it, we need some action in there. You know? Anyway, so they get away from these guys chasing them because with the portable transporter, if they're underwater, they can't be tracked. So they, you know, they fall off a cliff, beam themselves underwater. And of course, book tells Burnham you're not going to like me for this and she doesn't because she hits him again once they get out of the water (laughs) again deserved (laughs) but now this scene becomes very interesting we get to learn more about what's going on at this time we're also learning more about book and then one of the things we learn is that the uh, time travel technology has been destroyed after the temporal wars Mm -hmm. which is a nice callback absolutely I love that that uh, you know because We've seen that in intervening years, there's been a lot of time travel technology. So the 29th century is, you know, we have the time ships like Relativity and Aeon and the Time Cops and Captain Braxton. And then like the 30th 
century, I think it is, or the 31st century, we have Daniels and the the temporal agents that are involved in the temporal cold war, which becomes the temporal hot war. <laughs> and and I think is what book is referring to here, which is like you said, really cool. But now all of that technology has been banned and destroyed. So that that's interesting. I was wondering how they would deal with that, knowing that time travel technology became so prevalent, you know, how would they not you know, just be able to use that to go back to the 23rd century? And we get our answer here. And I've read some speculation online that some people are saying, well, maybe someone did something to have the dilithium become unstable because they're trying to prevent time travel. Do you think the two are related? It could be. Yeah. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm interested to find out more for sure. Yeah, me too. Mm, should be interesting. So we also find out about Book's ability to commune with life with plants and animals and such, and his forehead glows. And I found that really interesting because, again, not to call it Star Wars, but I'm like, what is he using, the Force? <laughs> you know? mm-hmm. But it's like, wh- you know, what is he? Is he from a different race? How does he have this ability? Is he synthetic? Yeah, who knows? And that's one thing that I, I think would be an interesting exploration for this time period because... You know, when when we meet Daniels in Enterprise, like things are very different. And, you know, he's asked, oh, are you human? And he's like, more or less, you know. So like those those definitions are a little bit more fluid or should be a little more fluid at this time. Maybe maybe things have regressed a little bit because people are cut off from each other and, and things have gone back a little bit. But we're still after this time that like you know, things, we get little hints that things are not what they were. And, you know, maybe there's a little bit less uniformity as far as what makes someone human and what makes someone another race and that kind of thing. So, you know, I I think there's hints of that here, you know, that maybe Book is, I I think Book's human. His first name's Cleveland. I think he's human, but maybe he's also something a little more. Yeah. Maybe humans have evolved into mm-hmm. something a little more or some of them have i mean we've had s- some stories especially in novels that explore that concept yeah um, whether that's like naturally or like you said and, and i hadn't thought of this when i watched it but like yeah maybe synthetically somehow yeah absolutely Ooh, there's a lot of stuff coming up this season man <laughs> <laughs> maybe we shouldn't even talk about these until the season's done <laughs> Because hmm. I just want to know all the answers. Well, that's the thing. Like, I was wondering how these episodes would take shape, given that Lower Decks, they're separate, discrete episodes. There's threads that run through, but they're they're self-contained episodes. Discovery is more like we have chapters in a novel over the course of the season, right? So, you know, as that story kind of builds, and, and Larry Nemechek said something very similar when we had him on a few weeks ago about how... You know, you wouldn't watch a mo- watch 10 minutes of a movie, then take a week off and talk about it and then watch the next 10 minutes because by the time you've done that three times, you've forgotten what the first one was. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm curious how this season will take shape and how our discussions will evolve. And I think, uh, yeah, we we should definitely look at this less as, oh, this is this episode and then next week we get a new adventure. Yeah, that's not quite how it works, so... Yeah, we're only reviewing part of a story, not the mm-hmm. whole story. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. Um so we also find out as we get back to the ship and more fighting ensues that by the way, 
uh, book's code for the ship is sticky. I love that. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna start using that. Maybe don't announce that on a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I was thinking of changing the name of our show from Positively Trek to Sticky Trek. I Ooh, think that would be like really it. good. Sticky Trek, yeah. Okay. <laughs> and uh, But we find the cargo is a creature, an extinct creature. That book is actually enforcing the Endangered Species Act. And I thought this was great that we've come to find out that book is actually a good guy. He's doing good things. He's helping, you know, with extinction. And I love how this creature... I mean, again, it may be not that Star Trek kind of thing, but, you know, that it's eating these guys that are attacking them. So I didn't mind that too much. And then he swallows Burnham. My gosh. Like, and of course, I'm like, well, I know she's not dead. So he spits Burnham out. (laughs) That's two (laughs) spits in this episode. She spits water out or whatever. And then we have the creature spitting her out, which is similar to happen to Boimler. In Lower Decks. I had the same thought. I was like, oh, interesting. Don't phase her. You'll spoil the milk. (laughs) (laughs) I would have loved for Book to say that. (laughs) Yeah, no, it was fun. And of course, because Burnham's been drugged and she's a little bit, you know, a little bit more uh, happy-go-lucky, I guess, than normal. You know, it doesn't phase her as much as it, I think, normally would. And she, I loved her line. It was like, I I had no idea how this day was going to go or something like that. And I I thought that was great. Then after the fight ensues and they get rid of all those guys, they're able to get back on the ship and they head to Book's planet where he keeps these endangered species. And we see several of the species swimming together and it's good time because it's breeding season. So timing's perfect for this. And, you know, I really loved this because, again, it's really giving us some information on Book and what he's doing. And we also find out that his family are is poachers, you know, that mm-hmm. he's one of the uh, different side of things. I mean, his family doesn't even speak to him for what he's doing when he's doing the right thing. Yeah. And I love that, you know, we have a character in Star Trek who's a conservationist. Like, yeah. that, I, I was not expecting that. Like, we've had chief engineers and science officers and bartenders. I didn't think that, like, conservationist would be a title that someone who's a main character on a Star Trek show would have. But here we are. And I think that's really neat. Like, what a cool continuance of of Star Trek social messaging and stuff that, you know... Even in a world where things are going crazy, this stuff's important, you know, preserving this stuff and and protecting the natural world. It's important. And I I love that. Yeah, because we're also led to believe that Federation and Starfleet aren't there to help enforce this and to help. And so he's doing this all on his own. And not to say that the Federation and Starfleet do that for everything and everybody, although you can't do everything, but... You know, it's just it's just interesting how everybody's on their own is what I'm getting at. And that's what we find out, too, on the way station. So mm-hmm. when before they go to the way station in the earlier scene, after they got out of the water, Book did have the ability for Burnham to try to contact her ship. She, he just kept that from her and she tried contacting and there was no answer. But now that they're on this planet, he says there may be a way that he can help. So he takes her to this Federation way station. It's pretty much a destroyed station and no one's really there except for this one guy. And she walks in and introduces herself and the way he looks at her and just stands up. I thought he was going to say, I've been waiting for you. We knew that your ship was going to when she said discovery, I thought he was going to say, 
we knew that discovery went somewhere to the future and we've been waiting for hundreds of years to see when you would return. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was wondering if there would be something specific to Burnham, but it, it's really just that she is a Starfleet officer, you know, and it's a beautiful scene. I've got to say, like, the the gentleman that played... So the character's name is Aditya Sahil, and he's played by Adil Hussein. Incredible performance. Again, I, I think, you know, we get three main characters in this episode, or three prominent characters, and all of them, I think, put in incredible performances. There's the one moment where when... And I'm, I'm sure you're about to get to this, when Burnham commissions him as an officer... And his face, like he is holding back tears and his lip trembles a little bit. I was just like, this is incredible. And I was like, the second time I watched it, I was I was getting a little choked up. And that's that's incredible. I did too. I was getting a little choked up. And then when he said, you know, he's been saving this Federation flag for a commissioned officer to hang it. And now was the time. It was just like the whole thing and of just talking about trying to keep the spirit of the Federation going. Mm-hmm. It, it was just, it was so perfect. You know, as much as some people might watch Discovery and say, well, it's not really Star Trek. I mean, there is Star Trek messaging in this. I mean, they oh, are absolutely. hitting some of these beats. So, I mean, that that ending scene is one of my favorites. I watched it over and over a few times. Yeah, the the Star Trek messaging, the the DNA of what Star Trek is runs through this show, Discovery in general, but this episode in particular as well, I think. Uh, you know, I, I have to admit, I, I wouldn't say I was worried going into season three, but in the back of my mind, I was like, oh, great, are we going to have, you know, dystopian future where everything's bleak and bad and horrible? And, you know, there are elements of that, but... All of the people we've met outside of the Andorian and uh, Orion crime boss guys, you know, outside of that, everyone we've met gives me a lot of hope for what is coming and and what the Federation can be again, you know, and uh, I'm digging this. I'm loving it. I think it's an important message that when things are bleak, you know, there are people who you can turn to who will instill that hope and hopefully if you know the world is gonna take a hard left turn like the federation did you know it could happen who knows uh and some would say it has happened for example maybe people watching this can be inspired to be those people who are the beacons of hope that will lead us into a brighter future you know i'm gonna get off my soapbox now but yeah (laughs) Just, you know, I, I love Star Trek and this is exactly what I look for out of Star Trek. And you keep using the word hope. And again, that's in the title. The hope is you. And in a lot of ways, now that you said what you said, I'm thinking in a lot of ways that title is really a message to us. Absolutely. That the hope is us in us. You are hope. I mean, we all have to have hope. There's times where things seem so bleak. And especially with this year, with COVID and other things. And I don't even know what's going on in other people's personal lives. But, you know, to get through the day and to get through everything is with hope. And the only way to change those things is to have the hope within you to make the changes. Because if there's no hope there, you're not going to change. You're not going to try to make it better. Because if there's no hope, there's nothing, right? 
And so it is a nice message. And, uh, you know, these episodes were written and, and produced before COVID. So it's not like they're trying to send a message to the COVID world, you know, mm-hmm. even at that time before COVID, they felt like there's a message of saying that when things aren't that good, when things aren't going well in the world or anything around you, that you need the hope to keep going and surviving and making change. And I think that's just a message that should continue on throughout humanity because it's never going to be perfect. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and I mean, that's one of the beautiful things about good Star Trek is those messages are evergreen because there will always be, you know, something that that's happening in the world that Star Trek gives good lessons for. I mean, you know, look at the Deep Space Nine two-parter past tense part one and two. People are, are saying like how relevant that is to today's world. And that was, you know, written in 1995, you know. So it, it, Star Trek continues to be that message that I think every generation needs to hear and needs to heed. And I know some people have said, and I've heard you say it too, to me, that sometimes, you know, the way things are going, I don't know if we'll have that kind of future that we see in Star Trek, but I always have hope that we will. I mean, it's not going to be exactly like Star Trek. I don't think there's going to be tribbles in a couple centuries from now, but... <laughs> you shut your mouth. I want tribbles. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I do. I have hope that it's it's going to get better. Again, never be perfect. And again, that's one thing I like about Picard. I feel like that also shows that things aren't always perfect. The Federation isn't always perfect. It's going to have its ups and downs. So... There's a lot more, uh, I don't want to say more depth, but it's adding more depth, these new shows, to the mythos of Star Trek. Mm-hmm. So, Absolutely. Well, I guess this this point I would say, what are your final thoughts? But I feel like we kind of have them, but I'm going to go ahead and ask. I think that was a pretty good summation of my final thoughts. You know, incredible performances by all the people here, uh, great cinematography and direction, and yeah, a great message. and really leaving me hopeful again for the rest of the season and, and where this series is going to go. It's interesting that of course, discovery isn't in the episode and you know, by the the time the end of the episode comes around, I don't mind. Like I've, I'm fully invested in this story and we'll of course see discovery, I think in the very next episode, but you know, for now leaving it a question as to where it is and what's happening, I, I think that works really well because we're right there alongside Burnham who doesn't know where it is and what's happening and that kind of confusion. I think that serves really well to uh, to make the audience sympath- sympathize and empathize with her position right now. So, yeah, great episode. I, you know, again, it's just one chapter in a, in a series, lo- a season long book. But, uh, yeah, I'd probably have to give it one feeling of elation upon getting a transworm back home in time for its mating cycle. Uh, That's nice. I like that. (laughs) I mean, I I love the episode and I'm glad you pointed out that there's no discovery in this because that's one thing I loved about the episode. Not that we didn't see discovery, but that we just stayed with our main character, that we just had an episode where we're just following her and we're not going from one storyline to the other. We're not going back to discovery. Then we're going back to Burnham. I love the pacing of the episode. I love that we just follow her character. And as a matter of fact, as much as I love the discovery crew, I wouldn't mind a season of just following Burnham. And then, Hmm. I mean, I guess what I'm trying to say is, 
I would be okay if the next episode was still focused on Burnham and maybe she doesn't find the discovery, but you know, maybe by the third episode, she finds them and we find them with her and not necessarily make it the discovery storyline and the Burnham storyline. I wouldn't mind just following her character throughout and having it be that way. So, but I mean, that's just one preference. Uh, I'm very anxious though, to see the discovery crew. I'm very excited about seeing them in the next episode. Give me my Saru. I want Saru. (laughs) (laughs) And we've got to see a clip from it, an early clip. I'm assuming you saw it. Did you see it, Dan? I guess you Um, haven't. I, they, they don't show them on, uh, the, the crave feed or on CTV sci-fi here in Canada. Unfortunately, no, I'm talking, I'm not talking about like, a a, a trailer or coming up next, it, an actual clip from the show. It was on the ready room with Will Wheaton. Oh, I, I saw that. I didn't watch the ready room and I saw that that had been posted, but I have not watched it. So yeah, I have uh, no idea what's coming up in the next episode at all. Well, good. Let's leave it like that. All right. Well, thanks everyone for joining us. Of course, we'll be here next Monday with another review of the second episode of the season of Discovery. And far from home. Far from home. We'll be talking about all those characters on the Discovery. So, Dan, if people want to find you online, where can they find you? You can find me on Twitter. I'm at Kurtrats. That's K-E-R-T-R-A-T-S. You can also find me on YouTube.com slash Kurtrats Productions. You know, uh, one thing we do every week is a live show. Me and Brandy Jackla talk about a recent episode of Star Trek. And yeah, we've moved that to Saturdays. So normally it's on Fridays, but because of when the show comes out in Canada and the rest of the world, we've decided to move that to Saturdays. So hopefully you can join us there Saturdays at 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific. We go live and uh, yeah, so the first season, the first episode has already aired. Second episode we'll be talking about uh, next Saturday. So please join us. Yes, and I was on a live show at Infinite Trek with Aaron Harvey and Brandy Jackala talking about this episode of Discovery. So check that out as a podcast available on the Trek Geeks Network. And I'm also on Twitter at Admiral underscore Rex and occasionally on the Star Wars Report podcast. And uh, join us on our next episode, number 52, because we're going to be discussing some Star Trek Discovery news. So... Check that out, and uh, we'll see you around next time, and stay positive. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.